50-50 chance. Next time I'll give it an 80-20 chance that I forget. You can open to Deuteronomy 18. We're going to bounce around a little bit this morning. But just before we get there, let me just talk to you real quick uh, about the gospel symposium that Ernie mentioned, as well as one other thing. This Saturday is the gospel symposium. You need to register online uh, if you want to be part of it. There's a poster at the back with some info. You can find it on Facebook. You can uh, find it on Instagram as well. We really cannot stress the importance of this type of event. I understand some of you may be working and unable to join, and that's we understand that. But for those of you who are able to join, this is literally the conversation that needs to happen. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, we're literally going to have the conversation of, how can I use my work? How can I use intentionally the vocation that God has given me to be intentional about the gospel, to influence those that I work with and those that I work for and everyone that you interact with during that? How can I do that so that the gospel is exalted, so that people hear about Jesus and so that they can know who he is and why he came. And so if you're a Christian, your job is not just some random piece of who you are. God has intentionally put you there for purpose and meaning. And so I just really encourage you to consider it. It's going to be done through a conversational style, uh, whether you work in hospitality, whether you work, um, what else do we have in Banff? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Whatever your job is, including retirees, uh, one of our own in the church is going to come and talk about how to re-envision retirement based on the gospel. And so no matter what stage of life you're at, this will be a great conversation to be part of. We're going to break up into smaller groups to have further conversation about that. It's going to be a podcast available later on for you. So if you are working and unable to join, uh, you can catch that at a later date as well. So I just, I just can't overstate it. So this week, I'll be away at seminary in class till probably about 4 o'clock on Friday. And I'm driving home seven hours that night to make sure that I can be there Saturday because I think it's that important. And so I just encourage you to do that as well. Second thing, this is really exciting, and I meant to tell you about this last week, but I forgot. Uh, We have a new partnership that is happening in our church. Uh, There's a Filipino church here in Banff that has been renting from a different facility that at the end of June will no longer be able to meet there. And so as of July the 3rd, they're going to be renting our building Sunday evenings and worshiping uh, the Lord together. And we are so excited for that. They're excited to kind of partner with us in various ministries. They were asking about soul food. They were asking about chili night in the fall, Lord willing. All these other ways that we can partner together. Uh, They were here on Friday to go through this new sound system. Lee is sitting at the back there with Shayla doing that. And we did a training seminar with them. And at the end of it, they, they said something just so plain. They said, we're so excited to do this. And we hope that more souls come into the kingdom. And we re- remember, we, I was reminded, it doesn't matter which church, it's important that all of us recognize if they come to faith in Jesus Christ, that's the goal. That's, that's why we meet together, so that we can edify one another, encourage one another to go out to share the gospel so that God's kingdom would grow. And so we're really excited for that. So that means that uh, our, our hiatus for, indefinitely for our evening service is going to continue because we thought rather than having uh, a small eight to 10 person service that we've had in the past, why not have 30 or 40 people come together that need a place to worship the Lord? And so that's going to exist. We're going to actually talked about doing like a pulpit switch 
where they'll come and preach to you on Sunday morning, and I'll go and preach to them on Sunday evening every now and then, uh, where we'll gather together for certain events and different things. So all in all, our, our board, we, we had to figure out some of the details, but there was just this resounding, we want to partner with groups that love Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. So we're excited for that. So that's just for your information. All right, now let's, uh, let's get to Deuteronomy here. Well, actually, I'm not going to get there just yet. Hang on. If you're visiting this morning, if you have joined us, I just want to give you a little bit of a heads up where we have been so that you understand what we're talking about this morning, at least uh, with a better context of it. So a couple of weeks ago, we started this series um, on why church. So the fancy term for that is ecclesiology. That's the study of the church. Who are we? Why do we exist? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? And so the first week, we studied this idea of what is the church. We looked at two different aspects. First, the global church. So if you have submitted uh, your knee to Christ, so if you've made him Lord of your life, then you are part of the global church. And one neat thing that we get to experience here in Banff is we see the global church every Sunday because we have people from all over the world that come and join us. And, And you don't know this, those of you who are visiting yet, but you are just the perfect sermon analogy for the rest of the sermon coming up later. So thank you for coming. You have shown a desire and a commitment that even though you're on holidays, that you see worshiping together with the saints as a valued and important part of your life. It's so easy to be, oh, I'm on holidays. I'll just sleep in. I'll just, I'll just go do my own thing. I'll take the advantage to go for a hike or whatever it might be. And you've said, and, and maybe it's because it's rained, but I hope not that you went, no, I want to come and I want to worship Jesus. I want to be with other Christians. And so I'm, I'm, can, thank you very much to those of you who have done that. And then we looked at the second aspect of that, the local church. So Banff Park Church, or if you're visiting the local church that you have come from, and we talked about uh, this definition that was from Mark Dever. He said it this way, a local church is a body of people that are marked out by the fruit of God's spirit as holy and loving. So in other words, we're a group of people who have been marked out and called by God to be part of a family to grow together in spiritual maturity. So that's why we come together every Sunday. Yes, there's Bible studies, and Ernie mentioned there's men's group, women's group, young adults groups. There's all kinds of ways to get involved, and those are all good too, and we do want to encourage you to that. But there's something special about Sunday morning gathering together intergenerationally with both men and women young and old, everybody together worshiping. We think that is a vital part of it because as we gather together, we encourage one another of how can we be more like Jesus tomorrow than we were today. And that's the goal. That's the point of our local church. Now, I meant to mention this as well, but I forgot. Uh, Our vision statement that was crafted a few years ago uh, there's, there's a shortened version that Lee often says when he does announcements, but here's kind of the bigger version of that. And I want to read this to you so that you are reminded, if, if you've been part of this church for any length of time, you've heard this, you've talked about this, but sometimes we need to be reminded more often than we might care to admit. Here's what it says. We, so this is Banff Park Church, we will seek to be culturally relevant in serving Jesus as we build one another up in faith and as we encourage Sorry, and as we encourage with friends, our neighbors around the world, and those who come here for work or for recreation. We will seek to minister to the poor and the distressed. We will value people of every culture, and we will address the issues of our time from God's word while keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of all we do. So that's how we've fleshed out 
the goal of love God and love people. That's kind of the smaller, easier way to say that. But here's the way in which we intend to do that. So that's what our church is. Then we looked last week at why together. Why is it important that we gather together, specifically Sundays, but why is it, to get, why is it important that we gather together regularly? And we're not going to hash all this out again, so if you want to jump online and check out last week's sermon, you're welcome to do that. But basically, we looked at Acts chapter 2 when the church is first formed, all the way to kind of the end of the New Testament, and we looked at what does it say about meeting together Specifically, we were answering the question of this. Um, why can't I just meet with two or three other people in a coffee shop and call that church? Now, you can meet with two other people in a coffee shop, and I would encourage you to do that. Having spiritual conversation all over the place with other friends and people is vitally important, but never in the New Testament is that talked about as church. It is talked about as the extension of church. And so we looked at that more specifically. We talked about 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul uses the metaphor of a a human body. And and we're going to talk about that again this morning a little bit more. But as we are a human body and each part needs every other part to function well, that's why we gather together, because I need you and you need me and we need each other. If we try and do it on our own, we're going to be very limited in what we can accomplish. And so we just need to be reminded of that. So this morning's question that we're going to look at is this, why serve? Why should we serve? Now, Lorena, you already answered that question for us in the video, so I could just sit down probably, but then I might not get paid. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I'm really, I'm really excited. I want to talk about this because I think this is, this is super, super important. Uh, You've heard me say this over and over and over. So don't tune me out for this moment just because the sentence has been said many, many times, because I think it's vitally important that we recognize it and that it sits in the front of our brain all the time. And that is this statement, is that we are a byproduct of the culture in which we live. All I mean by that is this, is we are influenced by the world around us far more than we probably care to admit. And we need to be aware of that. Because if we just allow the culture to influence us beyond what we should be aware of, then all of a sudden things start to creep in. And and of course, we've seen this in denominations all across North America with theology getting really, really sketchy. We're very comfortable to say, well, this group, this thing, this idea, all this stuff, well, those are old, outdated, old-fashioned ideas. Well, we've said in our statement of faith that we will address culturally relevant issues based on what? Based on the Bible. We don't think the Bible is outdated. We don't think it's old-fashioned. We think that God gave us the truth of his word so that we would know how to love him and how to love others. And so we constantly need to be asking questions like, how am I being influenced by the media that I watch, the music that I listen to, the movies that I go to, the people that I surround myself with? We are influenced every day by them. In fact, some of you will know this, is is as you begin a new job and you surround yourself with new people, you actually probably start talking a little bit differently and using different words. I'm not saying any of those are necessarily bad things, but to be aware of them, we are influenced by all of these things. Well, the Bible is very well aware of this. God, or I should say, God was very well aware of this, and so he gave us in Deuteronomy 18 a few verses for us, uh, pardon me, Deuteronomy 19, A few verses for us to, no, it is Deuteronomy 18. I wrote 19. Pardon me. 18. Do you have 19 at the back? Oh, good. I wrote it right on that. Okay. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 14. I'm going to read this to you. So this is, uh, God is 
sending his people into the promised land, but he's giving them a warning that is vitally important for them. And he says this, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of these nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer, a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord, your God, is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord, your God. For these nations, these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord, your God, has not allowed you to do this. A warning of here's what is expected of you, people of Israel, as you go into the promised land. But what happens? They don't do what God has said. And they become very influenced by the culture all around them. And a few years later, in, well, this is quite a few years later, but now in 1 Kings 11, we read about Solomon and it says this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sodomite, so, sorry, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And then in verse 4, it says this, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. There's many, many other places in scripture, but I hope you see the point. Is if we surround ourselves with a totally separate idea of how we are to live, we are going to be influenced by it. Now, let me clarify. That does not mean that we are to take a step back and be, have no contact with the outside world. If we are called to take the gospel to the nations, what does that imply? We have to be with the people. We can't just step back and do nothing about it. We have to be actively pursuing other people with the love of Jesus, but we need to do so knowing that our goal is to influence them with the word of God, not to be influenced by the culture around us. And the whole Old Testament is filled with that. The, the men's group, uh, about a year ago, maybe, maybe a little further now, we went through a study on judges, and, and that's exactly what we saw, is, oh, we need God's help. We, we have not followed after him, and they cry out to God, and so God would send them a judge, and he would free them, but then very quickly again, they would simply fall back into the old ways. They would fall back into doing the things uh, that other people did. I think all of our parents said this to us when we were going to school. Don't act like everyone around you. You're, you're different. My parents would tell me this all the time. You are a Christian and you represent Jesus Christ. Remember that. We need to remind ourselves of that every time we walk off to work. Every time we go to a, a recreation thing. Every time we go to any kind of, anything, really. We need to remind ourselves, why am I there? What's my purpose? What's my mission? If your purpose is only for your own recreation and not to use that recreation for God's glory, then I think we've, only, we've missed a big part of what the gospel is. And so we need to remind ourselves we have been 
affected by the culture around us. And this is kind of where this sermon series was birthed out of because at our AGC National Conference, I was asked a few very specific questions by a couple of pastors that as I thought about and realized is COVID and social media and some of these things over the last two and a half years have deeply influenced the way in which we think about life, about church, about worship, and specifically for this morning's purposes, about service. And so that video that we watched obviously is satire, and it was meant to make you laugh, but it's also meant to make you think. Because when you think about church, do you think about it's a place that I go to get fed, or do you think about this is a family that I go to to serve one another so that we become more like Christ? In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, John says this to us. By this we have come to know him, that's Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. So when we read scripture and if we look at this and go, man, the way that Jesus lived was radically different than the way I lived. The way that the the apostles lived, the way that the the early church lived, very different than how I lived. Then maybe we should go, how should I live in a way that keeps with what Jesus' commandments are? Am I being more influenced by the culture around me than I would care to admit? And by extension, am I tricking myself into thinking that I follow and love Jesus when actually I love the world far more. It's just convenient to say that I follow Jesus. That's not me pointing the finger at any of us. I think we all need to ask that question of ourselves regularly. Where, where does my allegiance lie? John kind of finishes this thought in verses 15 to 17 when he says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John seems to think that there's actually a complete separation between the world and God. And I think if we're really honest, I shouldn't even say I think, I know if we're really honest with ourselves, as we look in the mirror and we consider these things, is we probably love a lot of what the world has to offer us way more than we should. Our focus, how much is on the material, is on the things that we wish we could have or how hard we're going to work so that we can have the things that we think that we need so desperately. When actually the only thing that you need desperately It's the forgiveness of Jesus, because eternity is at stake. So we obey his commands. We seek to follow him with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, and we seek to love our neighbor as ourself. This is how Jesus summed up the law, which we looked at a few weeks ago. But friends, we need to be very, very aware of the world that we live in and not getting sucked into what we think it has to offer us. Because everything that it has to offer us is very temporal. It'll give you momentary happiness, but long-term pain and heartache. So let me ask you this, and I'm asking myself this as well. The home that we live in, that we work hard for, that we pay bills for, 
Do we use it only for our own family's well-being or do we use it for the kingdom in some way? The vehicle that you drive, how are you using that? The, the physical health that God may have given you, what are you doing with that? The wisdom that God has given you over your many years of life, how are you passing that on? All of these things that we have been given, when we start to look at them as their gifts from the Father, then we start to go, how can I use these for the building up of his kingdom and not my own? And that's everything. Everything that we've been given. Sometimes we get lulled into this, this false belief that, well, I worked hard for it, so I deserve it. How many people in the world are working way harder to get clean drinking water than you've ever had to think of in your whole life? Aren't they working hard? It's so easy to think, well, I can look at this person, they're being really lazy, and so I'm working hard, so I deserve the things that I get, when the truth of it is we only deserve one thing, and that is separation from God. And yet through Jesus Christ, God has graciously said, I want to be in relationship with you. And when we start to look at everything that we have, whether material or not, everything that we have is a gift from God, and it is meant to have purpose that others would know who Jesus is. This may sound like, okay, we're just talking about evangelism now, and we are, because that's what you've been called to. We talked about this already. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says what? Go into the world and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. This is the commission that we have been given. Not work real hard so you can retire early and enjoy everything for the next 20 years of your life. And I'm not saying any of those are bad things. But where is our focus? I'm not saying you shouldn't travel. I'm thankful for those of you who have traveled and come here this morning and that want to worship Jesus together. I'm thankful that God's given you the opportunity to experience different cultures because I think experiencing different cultures opens our eyes so much more broadly to understand people and how to interact with them and how to teach them about Jesus. The question becomes on our motives. So I said last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 and this imagery of the body. We won't turn there this morning just because we don't have time. But I want to ask you this question. You as a Christian, according to that passage, you have been given a spiritual gift. And do you remember why you've been given that spiritual gift? Anybody? For the edification of who? The saints. You have been gifted uniquely by God because he wants you to be at work with the saints. Again, using that imagery of the body, every part works together for the same good and the same purpose. In fact, we read that it said that you are indispensable. And so if you say, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my gift apart from the church, then you're actually robbing the church of its effectiveness that God has called. That may sound harsh, and I don't mean that harsh, but that's what Paul has said to us in 1 Corinthians 12. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Otherwise, we won't accomplish what God has called us to do. You can use all kinds of metaphors for the sake of Ernie. We'll use hockey. Why didn't the Oilers? No, sorry, that's too early. Uh, Imagine if you're on a hockey team and you got two people in the penalty box and all of a sudden it's five on three. Yes, you, you, you can kill the penalty. It's statistically possible. 
But how much more difficult is it when two of the people that should be supporting your team are sitting in the sin bin? No, I'm just kidding. That's a bad analogy. In the penalty box for doing what they shouldn't have done. Now there's more weight on you and you're going to be able to accomplish less. You can use kind of any example you want. At your workplace, if half of them decide, I'm just going to go party tonight and I'm so drunk I can't go into work tomorrow morning, all of a sudden more is now on you. That your coworker, your teammate is not doing what they're called to do that directly affects you. So it is with the church. We have been given a mission. and How are we going to declare to the Bow Valley and the rest of the world Jesus Christ effectively if our teammates don't do what they're called and gifted to do. All of us are called. Now, the typical objection that we hear is this, is, well, I I don't know what my spiritual gift is. So fair enough. Then let's look at it two different ways. Have you really tried to figure out what your spiritual gift is? I don't mean go online and look for a spiritual gift test and fill in the multiple choice things. I don't think that's an effective way to do that. I think it's this. Uh, If you wonder, is my spiritual gift encouragement or administration or hospitality or teaching? Why don't you go and try and do some of those things and see what God does in and through you? And if all of a sudden you get some affirmation going, man, like you are just such an encouraging person. Like when you speak, I just, I, I, I feel so built up. Then maybe you have the gift of encouragement. If people say you're really discouraging, then maybe that's not yours. And then maybe you go, okay, maybe, maybe I can do some administration. Maybe there's people in the church, uh, like the pastor, who are not administrative and need other people to help. That was just a, I'm sorry, that was, that was very selfish there. I have Jeanette, who is wonderful in the office and helps me with those things. And I've become way more efficient because of it, because we're working as a team. Now imagine all of the gifts. And, and so you can read through 1 Corinthians 12. You can read through 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, and you can see all these various things. And I don't think any of these lists are exhaustive by any means. I think they're generic lists saying these are some of the ways in which you can serve the church. Would you go out and figure out how God has equipped you and, and do it? Bless your brothers and sisters so that as you work together... Uh, we all say it all the time, right? Is many hands do what? Unfortunately, and I would argue in 18 years as a pastor, I've seen this to be very true, is the cliche of 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people is very true. And those 20% of the people get exhausted and burnt out and they want to serve Jesus with all of their heart. But they feel like they've got nothing left to offer. I'm not pointing the finger. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm trying to take very seriously what the Word of God says about what church is and why we exist. So let me ask you a very direct question. How are you serving the church? If you're part of the Boat Valley and you're part of Banff Park Church, how are you serving this church? If you're visiting this morning, think to your local context. What are ways in which you are serving the church? And I don't mean individually in the sense of like, well, I take people out for coffee. That's great. I'm glad. Keep doing that. But how do you serve the body so that it all functions the way that God has made it to function? So if we ask the question again, why serve? Because we need each other. Because that's how God's designed service. 
God's designed it so that you serve in this way, I'll serve in this way, others will serve in this way, and through that, it'll be far more effective than anything that we could do on our own. The problem is this, is it's messy because we all have different ideas of how we want to accomplish things. But as we talked about last week, why together? Because God has called different races, different uh, groups of people whatever might divide us in today's world, he's called us to be together so that we can show to the world, despite all of our differences, we're united under Jesus Christ. And so even when it's really messy, even when I really am frustrated with somebody else or they're angry with me, or I've said something offensive and didn't realize it, and I've hurt somebody else, instead of just unplugging and walking away and going, I don't need any part of that, we actually declare to the world evangelism by going, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to be gracious, and I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to work together for the exaltation of Jesus Christ, even if I don't really like that person. And then I'll pray that God would change my heart so that I do begin to love that and appreciate that person. This is what we're called to do. Why serve? Because we need each other. Let me give you another reason why, and this is probably the more obvious. If you flip to John, the, book, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, There's an example here of service that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but I just want to read it anyway. Starting in verse 1 of John 13, it says this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were put in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, excuse me, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, for he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was about to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus, in this moment, chooses to show what service is. And we're going to finish in a minute here up to 17. We're going to read a few more verses. But just before we get there, I want us to dwell on this for a few moments. In that culture, washing of feet was designed for the house servant. It was not for the honored guest. Yet, Jesus didn't think that way because he knew that kind of thinking is man thinking, not God thinking. He chose to serve his disciples. And and I love how it even says, even though that he knew that Judas was about to betray him, he washed Judas' feet and served him. Are we willing to serve others when we know full well that they're going to stab us in the back? Probably not, if we're really honest. But Jesus understood something different about serving than we do. And so he shows them this tangible way, and he's saying that no matter how menial the task may be, he is not too great for it. 
So I want you to now to think about our culture. Now, we don't do foot washing, but what are ways in which we expect others to serve us? Perhaps someone who has a lower pay grade than we do. Perhaps when we're at our work and somebody is our subordinate and we expect that they serve us rather than we serve them. In about half an hour, I'm getting in the car and driving out to take a seminary class on servant leadership. I wish I had planned this that well, but that's God doing it. God going, Greg, how are you going to serve others? And I started to think about this, and I was reminded of two men in my life who have made a huge difference. Back when the Olympics were in Athens, I was part of a ministry group that went into Greece uh, with, with the Hellenic ministries to, to share the gospel to every single home uh, on the Greek islands. And as we were there, I got to meet uh, the president of Hellenic Ministries, Jonathan McCreese. His younger brother um, had gone to the same Bible college that I had and started a, a sailing ministry. And I got to participate in that. You literally get on a sailboat and you sail around the Greek islands presenting the gospel. If you want a crazy way to present the gospel, go do that. It was amazing. And so I got to meet his older brother, Jonathan, and we had lunch together. And, and while we kind of were sitting and chatting, we were kind of encouraged by everything that he said. But he gets up first and he grabs everyone's dishes and takes it away, even though there were others coming to do that. Because he was not above that. And he was modeling that to me. Later on that evening, a bunch of us, after uh, I had had the privilege to lead worship that night with a few others from around the world, and we were kind of just sharing about how surreal that experience was. 450 different people from about 35 different nations were all just singing praise to God. And we, it had had a significant impact on us. And so we were just kind of sitting, talking, uh, and, and processing that moment. And we looked over and we see Jonathan, this is like 1130 at night, and he's just walking around cleaning up all the garbage that he found on the floor in this, in this building that we had rented. It's not like there wasn't janitors. It wasn't like there wasn't people who he could have asked. And he could have looked at us going, you guys are just sitting around. Would you come and help me? But he didn't. Because his goal was not would everyone else serve. His goal was, how can I serve? And as we had conversation with him, that desire for him to look at it and go, if there's a need that I can meet, I'm going to meet that, that really had an impact on me as I thought about it. Another man, and this is actually the man who I'm going to go uh, take this servant leadership class from, as the president of Miller College of the Bible. Another excellent example in my life of someone who led, but led by pushing everyone from behind and had no desire to be out front. But he wanted to build up and encourage every single person so that they could be the best. That they could live up to the potential that God had created in them. And I owe a great deal of, of my understanding of service to these men. And I have so much yet to live up to. Because if I'm really honest with myself, I've grown up in a culture where I expect to be served. Rather than to serve. Jesus continues in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. Notice that. You call me Lord, and rightly so, for so I am. If, the, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's. 
I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is trying to attack that cultural mindset. He says, I'm your Lord and I'm your teacher, and yet I serve you. In fact, the truth of the gospel is simply this, is there was nothing that I could do for salvation. The only thing that happened was Jesus humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant so that I could be saved. If the God of heaven does not do that, I don't have a chance at salvation. Should he have served me? Not a chance. I should be the one serving him. And he says to his disciples, I've done this so that you would have a pattern so that you would have an example of how to serve one another. So let me ask the question again, why serve? Well, here's the Sunday school answer, because Jesus said to. But he didn't just tell us to, he modeled it to us. Here's what it means. Here's what it looks like. Here's what I want you to do. And then he gives us a little caveat with it. Blessed are you if you do this. The simple truth of it, Shayla and I have had so many experiences where we got to take other people to other parts of the world and do missions experiences. And the one statement that is always said is this, they blessed me more than I blessed them. Why is that? Because when we serve, when we do the things that God has called us to do, we find great joy and meaning. Why? Because that's what God's created us. He's called us to love one another practically and to go and to meet needs and and it costs us and it's difficult and yet joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and purpose, all of those things come out of that because this is how God's created you to live. Now again, we especially, those of us living in Banff Park or Banff National Park, We've grown up where everyone serves us to the point where we think that I deserve and I'm owed and because I'm a local, I should get this. All these things creep into our mindset. And so it becomes this, man, how can I serve myself today? How can I serve myself this weekend? What things am I going to go do so that I find joy and satisfaction? But we don't actually realize that what joy and satisfaction actually come from are serving the Lord. It might not be as much fun in that moment as we think, but it will bear fruit that will last for forever. Whereas if we go, man, I just need to go and do this for me today, and, and, and we probably spiritualize it with a, with a term that is true, is this self-care. Yeah, we do need to take care of ourselves. But how do we take care of ourselves? By serving Jesus. That's how we take care of ourselves, because then we're doing what we're called to do. And in that, God will reward us. And so we are called to serve one another. Why? Because Jesus told us to, because Jesus modeled it to us, because he has created the church to do this. We've been created as, I think the best way I can say it is this, is you are not an island. And we live in a culture that is very self-sufficient, but you're not meant to be self-sufficient. You're meant to entirely rely on everything because of Jesus. But again, in our culture, we just go to the bank and get more money so that we can get the things that we need. 
when we're called to call out to Christ and ask him, God, what do you want me to do? Where will that next meal come from? Who do you want me to meet today? How can I use the things that you have blessed me for the furtherment of your gospel? This is why I think it's so important for you to consider going to the gospel symposium. Because that's the conversation we're going to have. You may hate your job. (laughs) You may dread going into work. But God's put you there for a reason. And if that can change and your mindset can change and you can go, I have purpose and meaning and God's kingdom is going to grow through what he's called me to do, that'll change everything and everything will become a means to an end in the sense of it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Why serve? Because we're not nearly as important as we think we are. And I mean that as lovingly and graciously as I can. But on the flip side of that, why serve? Because I desperately need you. You need me and we need together. As I was writing this sermon, I kind of came to this point and I was trying to think, how do I, how do I close this in a, an effective way? And so I was just sitting there thinking and, and my phone beeped. And I had an email and I opened the email and it was from Compassion Canada, which is a... Um, doesn't matter right now, you'll see. Um, but it's a group that I kind of partnered, Shayla and I have partnered with. And in the subject line of the email, it said this How sponsorship sparks servant leadership. And I was like, okay, God, even I'm not too daft to miss this. Literally just wrote all this about servant leadership and then phone beeps. And I look at this, and, and I, I shouldn't say it, even I wasn't too daft, but I almost was, because I didn't read it at first, and then I was like, no, I need to read this. And so I read the little email, and it's a two-and-a-half-minute video that I want to show you now about servant leadership. And if you don't, let me just give you a little quick context. If you don't know what Compassion Canada is, it's a sponsorship program to sponsor kids in other parts of the world who don't have the very basic needs to survive. And so we're going to learn about a guy named Martin, And you're going to see some ways in which this is very, very relevant for us right here, right now. And then as Martin finishes, I want to come up and just give you one thought, and then we're going to pray. So let's watch Martin now. I have nine siblings, and I'm the second last born. My older sister took good care of me when I was little. Regardless of life hurdles, we were a happy family. I don't think that I knew that I liked best needs, but I, I knew that I liked something. I aimed my friends of what they had. I didn't have any of that, which changed tremendously when I registered with compassion. But it was a great moment of my life when I learned that someone, somewhere, is my sponsor. It's changed my life. Our director, she was talented in such a way that you would feel safe when you're around that person. And uh, that uh, gave me hope of, I want to be like you. I moved to Arbara in 2016. I had an opportunity to work on caseloads for affected individuals during Fort McMurray World Fire in 2016. I don't know how I would have uh, gone through that emotional challenge if I didn't have strong built foundation that I got a chance to have from compassion. 
I saw that I would be in Fort McMurray for a week. It became two weeks. The community I came in to work for a week became a place I call home. I have a beautiful three girls. I have a beautiful wife. I work in the community. I serve in community development capacities. When I see what I, I do, my team, my colleagues, what we do, directly affecting positively citizens and the community, I'm at my best. I am at my best giving back. Children out there are waiting, are hoping to feel connected, to feel loved. Currently, cross-born three children to talk with through letters, like my sponsor did. The letters I received from my sponsor kept me hope, kept me going. I always know that someone has got my back. It's in that moment, right, when you're like, your email dings and you go, okay, God, I'll, I'll listen. And then not only is this guy's story very practically relevant, it's, it's Alberta. It's Fort McMurray. It's, we have people in this church that's lives were affected by that fire. And Martin said, I'm at my best when? When I'm giving back. And that is the simple truth of it. And I think for those of us who have grown up in a far more affluent world, affluent society, or, or our part of the world, is we can forget that. And somebody who grew up with virtually nothing and was cared for and was loved now has this desire to do for others. And this is the same thing that Jesus has said to us. I have given you an example that you would follow. So friends, go wash people's feet. Right? Metaphorically. Go and serve, and when you serve, you will be at your best. Because that's what you've been created for. You've been created to make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That should be your number one priority in life. Not just if you're in ministry, but if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, that's your mission. That's our mission together, and I need you you need me, we need us. Let's serve together. Let's pray. God, as we continue through this series and asking very specific questions of, of what the church is, why we exist, and in this case, this morning, why serve? God, I pray that we would recognize just how much we have been affected by the culture in which we live. I pray that we would develop a deep hunger for your word so that we might see the ways in which we've been affected and we might desire to do better, to follow after you and not the world, to seek spiritual blessings, not material blessings. God, thank you that Jesus washed his disciples' feet and showed that we are called to be servant leaders that we are called to serve one another. And so God, I pray that each one of us would consider that we would ask, what are ways in which I can serve my family of faith? What areas in the church 
are not running as well as they could because I'm not contributing. God, may we be brave enough to ask that question and may we step out in faith to try and meet those needs. May we gather together as one family united with one purpose and one mission so that we can be the most effective Banff Park Church that we can be to reach others for the gospel. God, I thank you so much for every person that you have brought here this morning and for those who will watch this later on. God, would we think less about ourselves and would we think more about you? Help us to become people that the world sees as servants. Because that's what Jesus was. And that's what he has called us to do. So God, give us the courage to do that today. We are so thankful for your service to us that Jesus came to the cross that he died, that our sins might be forgiven, that he rose again, and that he promised us that we will be able to live with you for all of eternity. May that truth change the way in which we view our circumstances, our mission, and our purpose. God, help us to run after you this week. Help us to not get distracted by the things of the world. God, thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Go with us now as we eat together, as we serve together, as we fellowship together. God, what a blessing it is to be part of a church family. We are so thankful for it. We love you. Amen.